Today's episode is brought to you by Canva. Uh, We're all looking for ways to make an impact at work, but not all of us are skilled in visual design. A Canva helps you get your point across uh, simply and beautifully. It's easy to design Canva presentations, docs, whiteboards, and videos. You start with a designer-made template and customize it with your content. Uh, plus, add graphics, charts, and more from Canva's massive media library. Whatever department you work in, Canva is perfect for any task. Sales decks, hiring docs, marketing brainstorms, employee videos, you name it. Anyone at work can design with Canva. Start designing today at canva.com. Designed for work. I'm Johnny B. Good, the host of the podcast Creating a Con, the story of BitCon. This podcast dives deep into the story of Ray Trapani and his company, Centratech. I'll explore how 320-somethings built a company out of lies, deceit, and greed. I've been saying since a very young age that I was going to be a millionaire. If someone's like, oh, what's your best way of making money? I'm like, oh, we should start some sort of scheme. Listen to Creating a Con, the story of BitCon, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Every family has an origin story, one passed down through the generations. Mine happens to be a mystery involving my great-great-grandmother left behind in Sicily. I'm Joe Piazza, and my new podcast will transport you to the gorgeous island of Sicily as I trace my roots back through a whodunit for the ages. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Hey there, I'm Dr. Maya Shunker, and I'm a scientist who studies human behavior. Many of us have experienced a moment in our lives that changes everything, that instantly divides our life into a before and an after. On my podcast, A Slight Change of Plans, I talk to people about navigating these moments. Their stories are full of candor and hard-won wisdom. And you'll hear from scientists who teach us how we can be more resilient in the face of change. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to BrainStuff, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, BrainStuff, Lauren Vogelbaum here. It's possibly crossed your mind at some point when you've heard a word like, say, disgruntled. You might have asked yourself, has anyone ever been just gruntled? Is it possible for one to gruntle? Words like this, which are only used in the negative and not the positive, are sometimes informally called lonely negatives, or unpaired words. They're common words like incessant, disheveled, and ineffable. There are plenty of them in modern English. But are they lonely because they've lost a former positive mate? Or are they merely solitary words doing an adequate job on their own without needing an opposite to prop them up? First, let's look at what makes these words negative, linguistically speaking. Before the article this episode is based on, HowStuffWorks spoke with Dr. Jenny Lederer, an associate professor of linguistics at San Francisco State University. She explained that many words in English are multimorphemic. Multi meaning many, and morpheme meaning a linguistic unit. So, an example of a multimorphemic word is a plural, like cats. You add the plural morpheme 
S to the singular noun morpheme cat to mean more than one singular cat. Another type of multimorphemic word is a negative, uh, created by adding a negative prefix morpheme, such as un, to an adjective morpheme, such as happy, to get its opposite, unhappy. Uh, Both of these, the plural s and the negative un, are what's called derivational morphemes. Adding them to a root word, like cat or happy, changes the meaning of the root, or derives a new meaning. We form new words this way all the time. Say you searched for something on the internet, and you want to look up the same thing again. It's easy enough in English to add the prefix re, which means again, to the verb Google, which is a newish word in itself. So you can say you're going to re-Google something, and the person you're talking to would understand even if they've never heard that exact word before. Letterer said, we're in a hyper-accelerated period of word creation. Even our spelling is changing. She noted that other languages have even more derivational morphologies than English, with more ways to change the meanings of words by adding multiple prefixes and suffixes to the root word. Okay, but back to lonely negatives. And now that we know how these words are formed, we can look at how we got them. Many of these lonely negatives came to English through French via Latin. Take a word like ineffable, which describes something that's indescribable or beyond understanding, something too vast to be put into words or understood. It was directly borrowed into English from French in the Middle Ages. It was the exact same word, no changes in spelling. French acquired it from the Latin word ineffabilis, which meant unutterable. The first known use of this word in English was in 1540, in the phrase, O God of high pity, immense and ineffable. It arrived in English complete with the prefix and the negative meaning. Letterer says that words like this come into the language, quote, already glued into place, and there's no incentive to take off the negative prefix. In other words, it filled a hole in the English language as it was, and we didn't need effable as its opposite. Not that people didn't try. The first known use of effable was in 1668, so more than 200 years after ineffable had already been in use. In the United States, ineffable had a bit of a heyday in the 1870s, but effable never really caught on. Letterer explained, the positive could have dropped out because there were much more frequent synonyms in use. Meaning, basically, we have lots of ways to describe something that's describable. What we didn't have was a word for something too big for words, and the French had a word ready for the borrowing. Not only do we invent new words thanks to morphemes, but we also change the meanings of words over time. This is called semantic drift, and it's led to some of these lonely negatives not having positives. This is the case for a word like disheveled, which means being in a state of disorder or disarray. It too comes to English from French, where the negative prefix dis was added to cheval, which meant hair. For a long time, it did refer just to the state of one's hair or hat. In 1405, Geoffrey Chaucer wrote about a man who was disheveled save for his cap, riding bareheaded. Having unbound hair and only a cap rather than a proper hat was very casual in Chaucer's day, the equivalent of wearing your pajamas on an airplane. 
In the 600 years since he wrote the Canterbury Tales, the word has drifted away from its original English meaning and can now refer to a person's whole state, not just their head. Messy clothes, makeup, or hair, any of it adds up to being disheveled today. But there's no sheveled or heveled. Originally, that would have just meant having orderly hair. English didn't need that word like it apparently needed disheveled. Lutterer said, So many new objects and activities come into our lives as culture evolves. We have to have new words. They're often based on old words using compounds, blends, or derivations. Without them, we'd be talking like Shakespeare. Let's bring this back around to our earlier question. Is it possible to be gruntled? The answer is, not really. A disgruntle was first used in 1862. A gruntle comes from Middle English, the noun grunt meaning the snorty sound, combined with a diminutive morpheme ul. Put it together, and you get basically little grunting sound. And that's what gruntle meant when it was first used as early as 1400, usually when writing about pigs or people sounding like pigs. It wasn't until 1591 that gruntle was used as a verb to mean to complain. Then, in 1682, disgruntled pops up, meaning ill-humored or disgusted. So, it's not the opposite of anything. And it didn't really take off in popularity until the 21st century. If you're interested in learning more about the usage of words in the United States, check out the Corpus of Historical American English. This database can provide the frequency and context of just about any word broken down by decade. Other unpaired words you might want to investigate include debunk, reckless, disgusted, and indelible. Today's episode is based on the article, Disheveled, Disgruntled, Why Are Some Words Only Used in Negative Form? on HowStuffWorks.com, written by Kristen Hall Geisler. BrainStuff is a production of iHeartRadio in partnership with HowStuffWorks.com and is produced by Tyler Klang. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Johnny B. Good, the host of the podcast Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin. This podcast dives deep into the story of Ray Trapani and his company, Centratech. I'll explore how 320-somethings built a company out of lies, deceit, and greed. I've been saying since a very young age that I was going to be a millionaire. If someone's like, oh, what's your best way of making money? I'm like, oh, we should start some sort of scheme. Listen to Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. My whole life, I've been told this one story about my family, about how my great-great-grandmother was killed by the mafia back in Sicily. I was never sure if it was true, so I decided to find out. And even though my Uncle Jimmy told me I'd only be making the vendetta worse, I'm going to Sicily anyway. Come to Italy with me to solve this 100-year-old murder mystery. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.